Welcome to Moving Out of Trauma, a podcast made to support trauma survivors with actionable steps and resources so they can start moving out of trauma and into the life that they're craving. I'm the host, Candice Lederger, EMDR therapist, yoga teacher, first-time mom, and dog enthusiast. I am here in Phoenix, Arizona, and I am so excited about today's episode. But before we dive into today's episode of Moving Out of Trauma, I want to give you a few reminders. The first is that if you want to start practicing more mindfulness and incorporate more grounding skills in your daily life, but you've had some trouble getting started because of past trauma, I want to offer you a free trauma-informed beginner's guide to mindfulness workbook. I created this workbook with trauma in mind. You can get this free workbook as well as monthly updates about new content by heading over to soulmission-emdrtherapy.com slash podcast. You can sign up for our newsletter there and you will get this free workbook directly to your inbox that you can download as many times as you like and get updates when I update it as well. Again, that link is soulmission-emdrtherapy.com slash podcast. And a second reminder I want to give is at the end of this recording and the end of every episode for that matter, we will be giving you two resources that we often use in EMDR therapy, which are the container exercise as well as the state change place. So these exercises are visualization exercises that can help you transition from maybe a state of thinking about past trauma, awareness, learning something new into a more calm, more centered way of being so you can go on throughout your day. I hope these resources help and I would love to know your thoughts. All right, let's dive into today's episode. So in today's episode of Moving Out of Trauma, I have Alex Barr, a birth trauma doula here, uh, and I'm going to pass the virtual mic over so they can introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Alex Barr. I am a full spectrum doula, which means I support all pregnancy outcomes, um, whether that's a live birth, uh, an abortion, um, a loss, anything like that, as well as supporting people after they in the postpartum period. Um, I'm also a childbirth educator. I um, created my own curriculum and now teach all across the valley <laughs> um, yeah. my uh, childbirth education uh, curriculum. So cool and so needed because I can say from someone that has a, a child that it's not an easy process. And and I think anything about, um, you know, birth in any capacity is difficult. And so I'm so happy to have you on the show and, and talking about uh, such an important topic of trauma-informed practices as a birth worker and how this kind of integrates in um, just our, our daily lives and, and what that looks like. So I'm excited. I'm excited too. <laughs> Yay. Um, All right. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, that's okay. I was just going to say where the trauma portion comes in is just being a trauma-informed um, provider, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is is so important because you never know 
who walking in the door um, has trauma. It doesn't, it's not something that you just wear on your sleeves. You know, a, a lot of people have trauma. And so I think it's really important for, for every provider to be trauma informed for no matter mm -hmm. what your field. Yeah. It should yeah. be the bare minimum. <laughs> it should be. It should be the standard. That's right. Um, well, to start off the show, uh, I have this quote that I, you know, use as like a motivation as like a, an outline for getting to know you as the provider. And that quote is, uh, knowing a person is like music. So what attracts us to them is their melody. And as we get to know them, we learn their lyrics. And so uh, this portion of the show is just kind of learning about you, learning your melody and your lyrics and what makes you tick as a provider um, so people can get more to know more about you. Yeah. Um, so the first question I have is, why are you so passionate about this work that you do? Um, I kind of fell into birth work. Um, it's not, it's definitely not anything I pictured myself doing. It's actually kind mm. of almost the opposite. <laughs> mm. Um, I, you know, never planned on having children and I never like knew much about this, this world. I had never held a newborn until I held my own, mm. um, but so I had gone into pregnancy excited and mm. I had a very, very bad experience. Mm. Um, and I had providers who were not supportive. I had providers that were shaming me and my mm. size. They were shaming everything they could, <laughs> fear mongering, a lot of this stuff. And um, I just had so many experiences where... I wasn't respected and my voice wasn't heard and it was such a hard experience to go through. Right. Yeah. And, you know, my pregnancy was very healthy, like physically, mm. um, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually, it was, it wasn't. And it was mm. a lot to do with the providers that I had. Right. Um, so I just found that there wasn't enough, there wasn't enough support and help. Right. So, mm that kind of led me to figure out what doulas were <laughs> and kind of, okay, there's someone, there is a job, right. That supports people when they're pregnant. And mm -hmm. I've, I felt that like so much of the joy and the excitement of being pregnant was kind of taken from me. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to like give that back to other people if I could. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of how it started. <laughs> and then yeah. I've just furthered moved into it and seen like the need for um, trauma informed uh, doulas and child informed uh, trauma informed um, birth workers, but as well as like inclusive birth workers, you know, I'm yeah. queer, I'm non-binary, right? And so um, it's definitely a field that is full of um, some trans exclusionists, right? Mm -hmm. um, it is not a, maybe the most fun place for queer families, right? Mm. So I have definitely felt a call towards that and as well as working with uh, fat and plus size clients as yeah. well. Yeah. So you kind of took your experience, this this very painful thing that, um, you know, kind of molded 
uh, it sounds like it was, was, you know, birthed out of um, something yeah. that was really painful. Um, yeah. But that from that came, um, you know, wanting to give what you didn't experience to, um, to people that, that want it and need it and are not receiving it for the, the many reasons that you didn't. Yeah. And so that's where I've really just been, I've, put my whole heart and soul into this. This is what I'm doing. Um, And then the childbirth education piece of it just was kind of born out of wanting to help more people and wanting to Mm -hmm. educate more people on advocacy, on advocacy skills, on how to speak up for themselves um, and hopefully lessen some trauma, right? (laughs) Right? Like that's the hope of a lot of it. Yeah, absolutely. Because knowledge is power, right? Like once we have a better understanding and better awareness of how we can do whatever differently, we can we can speak up for ourselves. We can be an advocate. Um, I love that. Uh, what or excuse me, how <laughs> does your personality typically show up in the room with your clients? Um, so I affectionately call myself a bodyguard. <laughs> um, it's very much just like I definitely want to bring that calm and relaxing energy to the room, but I'm aware and I'm present at mm. the entire time that if my clients' wishes aren't being heard or aren't being respected, that I'm there to like kind of what I call slow down the room, right? So mm. I can kind of interrupt the natural flow when we're talking about these you know, hospital and medical environments, we see a lot of like what I call autopilot, right? We're just doing the same Mm -hmm. thing we do every day, all day, right? Um, But that person is only there once for that birth, for that baby, right? And so just kind of understanding that um, like you're going to have to slow down, right? With Mm -hmm. at least this client that I'm with, you're going to have to listen. You're going to have to explain Mm -hmm. things. There's going to be questions, right? Um, Rather than just like, I'm going, you know, a lot of times we hear providers and nurses just like speak their mumbo jumbo medical speak. Mm -hmm. And most Mm -hmm. people don't know what that means. Yeah. Right. So having someone there to like slow things down, ask questions, interrupt a little bit, say, actually, we need more information on that. Um, Mm. and then help my clients make their decisions. Um, And I've definitely more than once have had to step in (laughs) and pause things that were, you know, disrespecting someone's autonomy or not asking for consent, like that kind of stuff is a lot has happened quite a few times. Mm, Yeah. Which, I mean, in full transfer, like it sucks that that even has to be your role or a role that somebody has to step in a, and I'm so glad that you are there in those circumstances because you're, it sounds like you're teaching that individual, like, Hey, this is your autonomy. This is, you know, what your um, rights are as a human being yeah. in this, <laughs> in this setting. Um, Cause I, at least um, I don't know, in my personal experience, I feel like um, anytime I've been in a medical setting, it's like, Oh, like you're, you're the doctor, you're the person, you know, the things, but mm-hmm. you're still in charge of your own, own self. Like it's okay to, to slow down, to speak up, to do what you need to do, um, to understand more fully and make the the right decision for you. And so I, I think it's so powerful that you're there with them in those moments to, to help, to help in that capacity. 
Yeah, 100%. Because there's definitely just this, it's, I think it's part of our culture. I'm not sure how it is in other places, but it's definitely part of our culture that like a provider or a doctor or a nurse, they know they can't do anything wrong, right? They're the authority figure, right? Mm-hmm. But in reality, the patient should be the the authority figure. They should be the yeah. center of the care. There shouldn't be this hierarchy of like who knows more because yeah. ultimately the patient is going to be the person who one, knows themselves and their body mm-hmm. best. And two, the per- only person in the room who can make decisions about their yeah. own care. Um, yeah. So we see a lot of things where it is just like, you know, maybe maybe the provider or the nurse is sharing their opinion, but sure. I, it's hard for them to understand how that would maybe be taken from the mm. client's perspective of like, oh, this is what I have to do. Right. right? As so like there, fact, does like have, this is the only option. Yeah. So there does have to be like a way we talk about things and a way we share things when we're in a position of power. Right. So in my classes, we talk a lot about informed consent and what that looks like and how ultimately like that's up to the patient. The patient Mm -hmm. has to make sure that they're getting informed consent because very often it's not the default. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And again, <laughs> just sucks that that has to, that is the way that um, things are evolving right now. And yeah. I, it sounds like things are changing. But yeah. And in a perfect world, we wouldn't, doulas wouldn't exist, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the other side of it is that doulas and childbirth educators and a lot of people in this work are kind of fulfilling, they're, we're kind mm-hmm. of filling in the gaps of like community and like these like, we should have like lots of people around us that have already had babies and have knowledge and information. And we should have like these families that also can pass that down. And we just don't have that. Right. Mm. Yeah. So true. So true. Um, well then with that, what is really like the top thing you wish, um, everyone would know about the work that you do or the, I don't know, birth trauma, however you want to answer that question. What, what do you feel like everyone should know? Um, it's hard to pick one. one yeah. thing. <laughs> There's a lot um, of important things. Um, ultimately, if it's just one thing, it's definitely that like you are the only person who can make that decision. And ultimately whatever decision you make is going to be the right one. And Mm. that's ultimately what I always come back to is it doesn't matter Mm. what I say. It doesn't matter what the doctor says. It doesn't matter what your midwife says. It doesn't matter what your friends say. Ultimately, you're the only person who's capable of making that decision. And like, we have to give that power back, right? Because I feel like at Mm. some point where it's like taken from us um, and I just want to give that back to people. And it does sometimes suck to to make those decisions, right? Because it's not fun if it's, you know, if you're deciding between two things that you don't want, right? Um, But ultimately, there's power there and that it needs to always be given back to whoever is the patient Mm. or the client or, you know, in that scenario. Yeah, which is such a huge piece I find with trauma is that like taking, I mean, oh God, the taking your power back, like that's such Mm -hmm. a huge piece, no matter what kind of trauma it is. um, Taking your power back is so instrumental in like the healing process. And so 
I think it's really cool that the work that you do infuses that like, in, I don't, I don't want to say in the beginning, because it's not necessarily in the beginning, but like throughout the process, instead of like, yeah. you know, after the fact, right? Like, okay, now how do I like take my my power back? But like through the process, like, how do I take my power back through every step, like to make the decisions that are right for me? Yeah. And when we're talking about birth trauma, we're definitely talking about trauma that happens because of your birth experience or your pregnancy experience. But we're also talking about stuff that is triggered by this experience, right? Mm. Past traumas that are coming up because we are put in a place where maybe we're, you know, in a medical situation we're trying to navigate or we're feeling this this lack of power or this, you know, it, it can trigger a lot of past trauma as well. Yeah. Absolutely. That makes sense. Uh, Well, that kind of brings us into like this first part that I'm curious about as like, what does birth trauma mean? Like, what does that look like? So a lot of what when we see birth trauma is going to come from uh, at the base, births not going the way we expect them to go. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of people have a picture in their head and when it doesn't go that way or it goes sideways or there's a medical emergency, um, sometimes that's, that's a lot. Right. And we do Mm -hmm. see some of what we call obstetrical violence, which means providers and, you know, people in the medical system, not respecting, um, consent and not respecting, Mm -hmm. um, autonomy and people's bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, because ultimately we only ever want a provider to be acting, um, without our conformed consent, right? If there's a true, true medical emergency. And birth on its own is not an emergency. It's not a medical, Mm -hmm. a medical issue, right? It Mm -hmm. is a normal human experience. It does need the help of medical professionals sometimes. But I think if when I think we see a lot of people who are kind of disrespected and kind of (laughs) you know, just not cared for in a way that would be, like we said, one trauma informed, but also just patient centered, right? Mm. Um, So it's something like one in three people have birth trauma. Um, Mm. So and that could either be, like I said, from a big medical emergency, or that could be just from our plans not going the way we thought they would, right? Mm. And what I find a lot is that people are not prepared for the intensity of birth. Mm. And that might not even be the intensity physically, but emotionally and the process of it, I find often is hard for people. Mm. Um, because I think it we usually have to people on two camps of like, oh, birth is beautiful and magical and I'm not going to feel any pain. Right. Or we feel like, Oh my God, it's going to be terrible. Um, when very, a lot of times it's right, right in the middle, <laughs> right in the mm-hmm. middle, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think it's like the expectations are a big mm-hmm. deal of it. And I think a lot of it is, like I said, not having our autonomy respected and having power in our experience. Yeah. Well, and so two things that I want to kind of like touch on there is like the expectations. Um, and I don't know, you, you, I would like to hear like how, I don't know, how our expectations are shaped. I can speak from like my perspective of like, 
I feel like movies and, you know, whatever, social media, like those things definitely took part in my um, perspective shaping um, or expectation shaping of like, oh, it's just going to be this magical thing and I'm going to be glowing all the time and like whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm sure I'll have like off days where I want to eat a bunch of peanut butter or whatever, like the thing was. Um, but that wasn't that w- wasn't the case. Like, that's not what my pregnancy looked like. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so I guess I'm, I'm curious as to like how, how you see our expectations being shaped of like what it's going to look like, no matter what that it is. Um, and you know, how, how we, I mean, I'm sure I'll just let you, I'll ask how we (laughs) kind of check those expectations or how we become more realistic, how we start to, um, you know, see both right not just one camp or the other um I think that uh birth is a very human experience right it Mm. really is a beautiful thing to witness but Mm. it's also like intense and messy and like a little gross (laughs) right Mm -hmm. and so it it to me it's like the perfect definition Mm. of what I would call being human right and so I think we you know, media for sure has a big, big impact on it, right? Mm-hmm. What we see on TV and things like that. Um, I find when I'm teaching about like the progress of labor, people are kind of shocked sometimes when we're talking about pooping or puking, <laughs> all right? Mm-hmm. And the same thing goes for pregnancy, right? Like no one's telling you that you're going to like be extra mm-hmm. gassy or <laughs> like you're going to have what they call lightning crotch, which is exactly what it sounds like, but doesn't yeah. sound like it should exist. <laughs> like no one's going to tell you that your pelvis is going to feel like it's splitting open. <laughs> like nobody's mm-hmm. going to be honest about like what that experience looks like. And ultimately the hard part is, is that it's going to be different for everybody. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. especially with birth, right? There is, li- I could, you could literally never say, okay, this is how it's going to go, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's it's sure. just not. It's it's going to be just as varied as each person and each baby and each labor that they're having. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think just really kind of being okay with not knowing mm-hmm. how it's going to go and mm-hmm. being okay with all of these possibilities. Um, yeah. And I think that's hard for people, right? I, I was one of them. I'm a very analytical type A person, right? Mm-hmm. I had everything planned out and right. And my birth did not go the way at all the way that I expected. And what I tell my students is like, my birth did not go the way that I expected at all. But at every point of my birth, I was able to make a decision that I felt was the best decision in the moment. And Mm -hmm. that's all that I hope for people. Yeah. Because I did have a, what I would describe as a, uh, a traumatic pregnancy, but mm. I don't feel that I had a traumatic birth. Um, and I think it was because I had tapped into that autonomy and that ability to say, nope, this is the right decision. I wasn't planning on this intervention or this intervention or literally any <laughs> intervention. But every time I made that decision, I was like, this is the right one for me. Mm. And that's all that I hope for other people is that we can have these spaces where we're going into where we have like a little bit of knowledge Mm -hmm. and a a little bit of tools of like how we can make those decisions, how we can take that power back, right? Mm -hmm. And use that in their birth, right? And not 
kind of be okay if it doesn't go the way you plan it, you know? Yeah. I love that you hit on that because I, I think you're so right. It encapsulates what it means to be human. It's, it's messy and it's beautiful and it's, gross sometimes and it's hard (laughs) and it's painful and it's, you know, also, you know, really beautiful and really amazing and, and way that words can't often describe. Um, yeah, I, I enjoy that. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to specifically ask, you said, um, I'm going to try and not butcher this obstetrical violence. Did I say Mm -hmm. it right? Yeah. Great. So, (laughs) um, break that down a little bit more for us as to like what that means and how someone can like recognize if it's happening to them and and what they can do. So what I would first say, I would love to provide a resource first. Um, uh, There is a, uh, I believe her Instagram account is called birth monopoly. um, And they go like really in depth with, uh, obstetrical violence. They also have all the information of like, if this happens to you, how to report it, right? Resources for all of that. So I would love to give that first. Um, But obstetric violence is going to be essentially any, any harm that's done to you when you're pregnant, in labor, postpartum, right? Um, And a lot of times we see it just looking as not, not asking for consent, right? Where, um, Interventions are being done without you asking. Things are being hung on the IV without asking. Um, mm. We're saying, hey, I'm going to lay down. I'm going to check you, right? That's not mm. a question. It should always, always be a question. Um, and those are just a few examples, right? So anywhere yeah. where we see autonomy not being respected, informed consent being ignored, um, mm. anytime where um, we see someone like physically um, – maybe someone physically using their power or even just using their power. Like we talked about mm-hmm. in that hierarchical, hierarchical way, essentially yeah. um, to get you to do what they mm-hmm. want rather than what you want. Mm. Oh, which you would hope that it wouldn't happen. But like, even as you were laying out those examples, like even in the very, okay, like, let me check you. All right. Lady. Like, you're right. Like those mm-hmm. aren't, questions those aren't that's not asking for consent that's that's demanding that's that's not um and you know I don't know if this would go back to this but like that culture that we talked about of you know the medical hierarchical stuff um, (laughs) which I have my own personal bone with but yeah um, I'm sure you do (laughs) (laughs) um I worked in hospitals for a brief period in time Mm -hmm. and I I couldn't stand it like the hierarchical piece that was there and you know yeah it just it doesn't I don't it doesn't sit well with me It's hard. It's really hard. Right. And I never, I don't talk about it a ton, especially with like my clients and things like that, because Mm -hmm. I don't want to be the fear mongering person. I don't want to scare people out of 
going to the hospital when they need it or out sure. of asking for that care. Um, mm-hmm. So I do try to kind of walk the line about it a little bit, yeah. but there it's the reality, right. Of what we're seeing yeah. and what, what people are sharing. Right. And if one in three people have yeah. birth trauma, right. That's a conversation to be had about what, mm-hmm. what role the doctor or the midwife or the nurse has in lessening that trauma and centering the patient in their care Yes. Rather than like using their power over people. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a hard thing for a lot of people to understand that if you have that power, you have to be Mm -hmm. really careful with how you use it. Right. And I really tried to be, I try to be very conscious in my work that I'm always centering the client. I'm always centering the person who's giving birth in their family. Right. And not Mm -hmm. making it about me. (laughs) And not trying to influence what I think I would do in that situation, right? <laughs> um, really trying to give that like unbiased yeah. like support, right? And yeah. being very clear, like mm. what is my opinion, <laughs> yeah, and what is not, right? And that's yeah. something that I teach all of my educators as well. Mm. We have to be very careful about what we say because we are going to be viewed sometimes as like the experts mm. in the room, right? Mm. And so it's very important that we are clear about what is evidence-based, what is mm. anecdotal, and what is yeah. our opinion, right? Yeah. Because it's not it's not to say, oh, you don't share your opinion. It's just to mm-hmm. say they need to know that that's your opinion, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. To know and, and to make the decision that's best for them off of, I mean, I can't count the number of times that, you know, I've had a phone call with several different people asking different people's opinions, but I knew that I was getting their opinion to then yep. make the decision that's right for me. Um, but when you're in a provider's office, like sometimes that's not so clear cut as to this is my opinion, this is what I'm giving you versus this is fact, this is what you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I think that leads really perfectly into the next piece of how on earth do we find these practitioners and these providers and, um, you know, all, all those pieces of, of finding someone that's going to be um, trauma informed and, and right for us. Um, this is always the thing I read into. It's hard, right? It's yeah very difficult to find people who are going to align with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course you can, and I encourage you to, I encourage everyone to essentially reach out to other people and mm-hmm. right. Is it a Facebook group or people, you know, and get their opinions or their suggestions on people. Right. Cause that's going to be the okay. easiest way to tell what type of person a provider is. Right. Yeah. Um, if we can't find a provider, right, then I just try to arm people with, like, these tools, right? I try mm-hmm. to fill up their toolbox of, like, how do we stand up for ourselves? How do we how do we ask questions, right? How do we talk to providers? Mm-hmm. How do we go in knowing that everything they say is an option, is a choice, right? There's nothing – there's nothing – because we have autonomy – there is nothing that is not um, that I can't say no to. I ha- mm. I can say no to literally anything, even if it's dangerous, even if it's against medical advice, right? I can ultimately say no to anything. And that doesn't mean mm. I want people to say no to everything, but we have to know in our hearts and like truthfully in our brains, like nothing they say is an order, right? Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely, the tools of like advocacy, how we ask questions, right? Um, bringing in like a list of questions is always great, right? That way we're mm-hmm. not forgetting because people get very, can get very panicky or nervous around um, providers. Um, so having a list of questions and things that topics they want to talk about. Um, and then ultimately always asking for time, right? And this could be in our pregnancy, you know, in our prenatal appointments or in birth, right? So I go to the, for my, one of my appointments and the provider is saying, oh, you know, you should do this, this, and this, right? I don't have to say yes to anything right there. Mm -hmm. I can say, okay, let me think about it and I'll let you know. And I can leave and I can go do my research and I can process what was said to me. And then I can decide what's Mm -hmm. right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, And then having a support team that really can be there, right? And maybe that's a doula. Maybe that's a friend, right? I feel like almost everybody knows the person who can be like a little, like isn't afraid to be very opinionated (laughs) or (laughs) speak up, right? Having someone that to come with you to appointments or having someone help you in any of that way or bounce ideas off can be a great tool as well. Um. And then just hopefully we're able to slowly start surrounding ourselves with people who respect that and hopefully Mm -hmm. providers, right? Because I'm always looking for them (laughs) if they're hard to find, you know, and very often I find them outside of, right? I, it's hard to find like a, a med, like a hospital OBGYN, right? That I would be like, yes, I trust this person fully, but Mm -hmm. I find that a lot in like midwives, and mm. doulas and mm-hmm. kind of people who are already doing something a little different, right? Mm-hmm. I very often find a lot of trauma-informed care. I find a lot of respectful care. Like, you know what? Ultimately, it's your choice and we're going to let you mm-hmm. do it, you know? So mm-hmm. sometimes going outside of the system a little bit, even for some extra things can be helpful, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I hear a lot of what you're saying is coming back to um, that community that you kind of hinted at earlier, um, down to like having a friend go with you to your appointments or having someone to go with you that will, you know, stick up for you and and kind of slow the room or, you know, however that looks or whatever you need in that moment, um, even yeah. just to remind you like, hey, it's an option, like you can, you can have you know, time, you don't have to answer them right here, right now. Um, you don't have to make this decision right now. Um, but coming back to that place of community that, you know, we weren't meant to do any of this alone, you know, yeah, pregnancy, having a baby life, like none of it, right? Like we are yeah, relational all of it. <laughs> beings. Yeah. All of it, everything, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we're, we're meant to be in community with others. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's the part that's missing so heavily Mm -hmm. um, with a lot of families. When I'm talking with families about, you know, preparing for postpartum, right? It's very often like we don't have any friends here or any support system, right? And I was definitely one of those people. I didn't have any support system. And then I had a baby and I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) Okay. I guess yeah. I have to like there's there's no one. Okay, I guess I got to go build that, right? It's much harder to do that after you have a baby than if you had done it a little bit before <laughs> at least, right? Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that comes a lot from like when you are 
it's just you and maybe your partner or maybe, you know, just you, right? You can mm-hmm. kind of do whatever you want. You can kind of get by with not having this large community, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you have a kid, you're kind of like, oh, a community yeah. would be really nice right now. Yeah. You know? um, some support and care, right, would be really nice. And then we also run into sometimes where people have people around or family around, um, but they're mm-hmm. not willing to offer support or they're not able to mm-hmm. offer support in the way that's needed. And sometimes that's just yeah. like, we don't have the capacity to help and that, you know, and that's mm-hmm. fine. But that's why we need so many people around us so that even everybody's little bit can equal up to be what we need. Um, yeah. And then a lot of times we run into these barriers of like different gen- generational barriers, right? Where, mm-hmm. you know, my grandma, and I know she's not alone, will tell me, I didn't have any help postpartum. Why do you need help? Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, I didn't have any help postpartum. And oh my God, I can't wait to help you postpartum, right? Mm-hmm. Like I didn't have mm-hmm. that and I want you to have that. It's very much like, well, I didn't. Why do you need it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this um this gap and oh like I'm trying to think of the words to like to wrap around with that, but like just this this feeling of um yeah, like what why do you need that? I didn't I didn't get that. Why do you need that? Um and I mean what was coming to my mind as we were like talking through those different pieces of like it takes a village, right? And it takes mm-hmm. a village of of the right people who are willing and able and in the same space um and all of those different pieces like a lot has to add up um to create that community uh which i think is just one facet of what makes it difficult to create that community right like that's just one one piece of it one piece of the puzzle um what do you tell people or how do you talk through that, you know, real, very real difficulty as people are trying to start build, um, building the community they want for themselves? Um, a lot of that is hard, right? It's definitely out of my like scope of like being a doula yeah. for sure. Um, but it's ultimately going to take work. And I think that's what's hard mm-hmm. for people. Um, and I see it in a lot of different spaces, not just like the postpartum or like the prenatal yeah. space. Like I definitely see it everywhere. Um, yeah. But what I see a lot is just like not understanding that like their your friendships are going to be relationships. Mm-hmm. The same way you would maintain a romantic relationship, you're going to maintain it, yeah. you know, a friendship the same way. Um, so putting yeah. the effort in. And then also we have a lot of like, are you asking for help? Are you asking for mm-hmm. support? Are you reaching out? Are you, you know what I'm saying? Are you putting yourself out there a little yeah. bit? <laughs> right. Because yeah. that rejection, like the rejection feels real when it doesn't happen. Right. Or when something doesn't work out, but you kind of have to keep trying until you find your people and you find your community and your chosen family, right? Especially if we mm-hmm. don't have support that's around us or maybe we don't have a supportive family, right? And that's kind of the boat that my, that I was in when I was, you know, giving birth was yeah. just like, I don't know who to call. I don't know who to rely yeah. on, right? And I hadn't done any of that work prior. 
So like, Mm -hmm. but you know, and I've done a lot of that work since and it has really paid off like to have a community and to have friends and to have my, Mm -hmm. my kiddo to have friends, you know, that kind of stuff has all, it's all like, it's been really beneficial. Right. So I just really recommend kind of like putting yourself out there a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It kind of reminds me like chipping away at it, like, you know, because it's not something that's going to happen overnight by any means. And so like if you can do a little bit each day or a little bit each week or whatever that looks like for you and like the space and and time capacity that you have um, to start to start chipping away at it. So that way you can put yourself out there little by little and, and find um, the places that you feel good and the places that you feel, yeah. um, I don't know, centered. Yeah. And that's where, cause like we have this to talk about because we're talking about, you know, postpartum and postpartum mood disorders and mm-hmm. obviously postpartum mood disorders are, they're very serious and I don't take them lightly, but I do. F- my opinion is that a lot of them are going to, are caused by that lack of community, you know? Mm-hmm. And when we go for support, right. Sometimes that just looks like medication, right? And therapy, Mm -hmm. which I love those things. But if I have medication Mm -hmm. and I have therapy and I'm still alone Mm -hmm. with my kid all day and I don't have, (laughs) you know, I don't have community and I don't have support and I don't have that stuff, it's not going to actually help me out Mm -hmm. of that hole of, you know, depression or anxiety or Mm -hmm. postpartum OCD or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And that's where I feel like some of the disconnect is. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The, the need for connection, Um, not Mm -hmm. just, not just a therapist, not just a, you know, medication to balance whatever's going on in the body. Um, You know, again, going back to that theme of like, we are meant to be living in connection and with other human beings. And if we don't have that and we don't feel supported and we don't feel seen um, and we are just with a a small person for every hour of the day, no matter how much we love them, uh, you know, we still need that. We still need that connection. And they can't talk at the beginning. They just like look at you and like poop and fall asleep. Like it's like, it's (laughs) like they're great, but they're not going to be the same as connection with another adult and connection with people and community and like people who are going through the same part of their lives, you know, as well, or like all of that is kind of, it's not replaceable, right? Like we can't just, we can't replace that with therapy and medication and all these great tools, but there's still going to be something missing. And that's where I find like, it feels sometimes when I'm supporting people postpartum that like, that there's no winning, that there's, there's not Mm -hmm. enough that I can do, you know, Um, because it won't, no matter what I do, it's not going to create a community around them. You know, I'm one person, I'm one part of it, you know, the people I refer out to are a small part of it, but getting that really solid group of like that really solid community that can be there when you need it is really hard. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I 100% register what you're saying of, you know, I, I'm just one person because I feel that way as a therapist, like being the support or being a support to a client um, who is referred to me because of XYZ, right? Um, you know, they they need more. They need more than just like this one person for one hour a week that, you know, is mm-hmm. helping them in this one way, in this one capacity. Um and so this is something that uh, you may have recommendations on. And if not, that's okay too. But I'm curious because I know there are so many apps out there today of like, um, what's the one I just saw like last week? I think it's called Emma or Emma. I think it's Emma. Um, and then I know before I, when I was pregnant, I saw one that was Peanut. Like there's so many apps mm-hmm. that are like connecting people. Um, yeah. Is there any app or any? anything when when you are kind of like in this place where maybe you're kind of starting from scratch like any place that you would recommend someone starting um all of that stuff is great especially because you know people are there because they want the same thing right you know um some people will use uh bumble they have like a friend version of bumble which is cute um and then facebook groups and i hate facebook a lot but i have made a lot of friends through facebook groups and i've made a lot of mom friends um and that can feel a little less intimidating than like walking up Mm. to someone in the park or you know like it can be a little bit more of like hey this is who i am does anybody want to hang out (laughs) right um so like really, really just trying that I because I mm. feel like it a lot of people are like, oh, that's hard or, you know, and from like one introvert to another, I promise it's worth, yes. <laughs> it's worth it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Finding again, niching away at it, finding the people that you want to hang out with, um, you know, and really just, again, finding the people that you feel like a sense of belonging with because that's what, that's what it comes down to in that, that feeling of community. And I definitely feel, feel like that's irreplaceable. Like, like you said, medication and therapy just can't replace that. It's not, it's not a thing. It's like, I want everybody to have access to those things as well. Um, But I also think that we're kind of missing that part of it. And there's, there, we need to emphasize that more, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I know we talked a little bit on the postpartum depression and anxiety and OCD and those pieces. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to speak on when it comes to that um, realm of, of all of this? Well, when we're talking about, you know, birth trauma and the effect that it has on us. It, you know, postpartum is forever, right? It's the rest mm-hmm. of our lives. Um They'll say that very often, like, you know, um, people with dementia or Alzheimer's, they like, they will still remember their birth stories and they will still tell their birth stories. Um, So understanding the profound impact that it has on Mm. our souls, essentially, right? That's Mm. imprinting on us, right? Um, Understanding that it how you birth is important and how you care for yourself afterwards is Mm -hmm. even more important. Um, Mm -hmm. Right. We talked about autonomy and all of that stuff when we're birthing, but you know, postpartum, if we still had a traumatic birth, how do we handle that? Mm -hmm. Uh, What support do we reach out to? How how do we see a therapist? Right. 
almost everybody should, right? In my opinion, at least. I'm biased, but I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So just like understanding that it is going to have a profound impact on us and it is okay to want to talk about it and get support for it and try to process it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think a lot of people say, oh, well, my baby's here and I'm here and that's all that matters Mm -hmm. without understanding that that experience is so important to anybody who gives birth, right? <laughs> like that's such yeah. a profound impact. Um, and I see people who, um, a lot of people who miss out on that time period, mm. right? They're dissociating, they're, mm. um, you know, so deep in like postpartum anxiety or depression or things like that, that they don't get to enjoy that time. Right. And you don't have to enjoy it. Right. But I also don't want you to be like yeah. dissociating and having it. such a hard time and checked out of it either. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where I like, I'm like, please get the support. Please go to the support groups. Please mm-hmm. call the therapist. Like, please just make that like even one step at a time to like help with mm-hmm. that is going to be unbelievably helpful in the long run. I've yeah. never heard someone say like, oh, I, that was a waste of my time. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. dealing with their birth trauma, dealing with any, you know, any yeah. other trauma that came up, came yeah. up as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think one of the things you said um, that, I don't know, it just kind of hit my brain of like postpartum is forever. <laughs> like it is mm-hmm. forever after birth. I, I can't um, take credit for that. That quote is from someone named Erica Davis. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. But Erica yes, Davis. Is okay. forever, yeah. Yeah. And that's so important to, I think, see or hear um, because it doesn't just stop a week after you give birth or a month yeah. after you give birth. Like, and um, I'm forgetting if I, I heard this from you or if I heard this from another person or read this somewhere. Um, but the, the length of time that somebody could, could um, be diagnosed with like postpartum depression or anxiety or OCD is like up to a year, I think. Right. Yeah. Or it's up to yeah. I, I, some stuff I've even seen up to two years, up to two years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, it's, it's an evolutionary process, right? Like it is something yeah. um, of how like our, our life unfolds in in so many unique ways. And um, like we've said a lot of times in this, uh, conversation of it can be really freaking hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, just knowing that like, well, it's so important to take the steps to not just like care for yourself, like, Oh, go, you know, have some self-care time or yeah. some mommy time, like, you know, whatever yeah. thing, but really having, you know, the community spaces, having, you know, a provider that you can go to, mm-hmm. um, you know, and again, like taking those small steps, like yeah. even a tiny step weekly or daily or whatever it is, is going to build up in the long run of you being able to heal um, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually uh, versus shoving it down and hoping it goes yeah. away. Cause when we do that, it just comes out, you know, somewhere else in a different way. <laughs> yeah, that's um, right. and 
the two things I recommend for postpartum mood disorders is one, you and everybody else in your support team should know what those look like. Like mm-hmm. your partner, your sister, anybody who's going to be around yes. you should know what those postpartum mood disorders look like, what the symptoms of yes. are, are of, of them. Um, because if you're experiencing it, it's very likely that you're not going to notice that. Um, yeah. I also love to tell people that other caregivers can get postpartum mood disorders as yeah. well, right? Absolutely. So anybody who's caring for the for that baby on a full-time basis can get that, get those mm-hmm. inexperienced those things. Um, and very often we see a lot of partners and a lot of support people who are dealing with their own trauma, but it's yeah. never addressed, right? And sometimes we see that come out at maybe the next birth, right? If they're having another child, right? Um, or we see that come out in other ways. Um, so it's very important that everybody knows what that looks like so that if that happens, then you have more than one person who's able to say, hey, like, can we get you in with a therapist? Can we get you in to see some support kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's you You hit a really good spot there of like, um, you know, it's not just the the person that gave birth. It's the people that are in support around that person. And um yeah, um, I, broken record here, but coming back to the place of community of like the people in your support network that are taking care of the tiny child, like, you know, making sure like, hey, you know, are you okay? Like checking in and figuring yeah. out like, you know, is that is that a red flag or is that a, you yes. know, a symptom of like, do we need to kind of check this and, and you know, bring this up and, and really address it? you know, versus like, was that just like a hard moment? Like, yeah, you know, like, yeah. cause the, those are there too, <laughs> you know? And yeah. so differentiating and figuring out like, is this something deeper that we need to um, find some space for? Cause yeah, if there's anything um, I've learned in, in parenthood, it's that you, you won't have space for what you don't create space for. <laughs> so 100%, 100%. To, that's like a perfect way to put it. If you yeah. don't create the space, it will never come. There will yeah. always be another thing to do. There will always be something that's pressing, right? You have to create that space. Mm-hmm. And it's 1000% okay to create that space. Yes. Because um, it is going to make you yeah. a better parent, a better caregiver, a better person, yeah. <laughs> right? A better human because being to you just d- be able to exist and be. Yeah. Because you deserve that, right? And then ultimately, if you're raising a kiddo, they deserve that too, right? They deserve yes. a parent who is fulfilled and cared for and taking care of themselves, you know, um, yeah. because that's going to benefit everybody. And people Great. really underestimate the huge impact of like sleep deprivation and like the change of your schedule and like a crying baby, like those have deep psychological impacts. Mm-hmm. Like that's how they, they torture people. They like play crying babies yeah. and don't <laughs> let you sleep. Right. Like it's not like, and that's where it comes back to like, we can't, we can't, we, we can't lie to people and tell them like, Oh, postpartum yeah. is going to be great. Right. Right. And everything's mm-hmm. going to be beautiful and perfect the same way about mm-hmm. birth it's going to be human. It's going to be real. It's going to be gross and messy, right? It can be such a good experience, but a good experience does not mean it was perfect or it wasn't Mm -hmm. hard, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think some people confuse that. And that's where we have a lot of like 
par- you know, they call it mom guilt, but parent guilt of like, oh, I'm not doing yeah. enough or my mm-hmm. house isn't clean enough or my journey does not look as perfect as I thought it was going to. When mm-hmm. in the reality, like everybody's gotten shit on at some point. <laughs> like <laughs> it's not like it's yeah. not like anybody's immune to that, you know, yeah. um, that just might not mm-hmm. be what they're sharing. And that's OK. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which is so um, prevalent to the. Um, the culture that we're living in right now, that's that we're just sharing highlight reels of like, you know, moments in the day, right? Like you are not witnessing that person's every moment of every day. And so like, you can't compare, um, what is it? You can't compare your life to um, a snapshot. Yeah. 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 And in the reality, when you just got shit on, are you wanting to like pull out your phone and post it on the internet? Are you like, Okay, I have to deal with this, right? (laughs) And that's okay. Some people do that. But it's just understanding that not everybody's going to do that. They're probably just dealing with that, right? When they're happy and having a good time, they're like, oh, let me take a picture, right? Yeah. Um, It's not usually like, oh, this is a hard day, so I'm going to take a picture. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um. And I feel like this has kind of been infused into the conversation as we've talked, but, um, you know, I know we talked about like the education piece on lessening the trauma and, um, you know, creating a space to limit the trauma. Um, were there other aspects and other pieces that you wanted to share with that? Just cause I know it has been infused throughout. Um, um, when I'm thinking about, uh, trauma-informed care. I'm thinking about, um, uh, let me think, because we did already talk about a couple things. Mm-hmm. Um, community, right? That was like theme mm-hmm. for our whole, right? Yeah. Um, peer support about, like, is, is what, peer support. what we talk about, right? Uh, asking for informed consent, making sure that's something we have, everybody on our support team, right? knows that that's important and know that that might be something they have to like remind about. Um, And then education Mm -hmm. is a great piece of that, right? Like um, Mm -hmm. a lot of times I think we think like, oh, we can just go into the doctor and they're going to know everything. And they're like, right. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to know anything, but ultimately Mm -hmm. you should know anything. And I encourage people to like use that as a way to like take some power back of like, no, I do have a base understanding of what I'm coming in for or what my options are, right? Like Mm -hmm. making sure there's space for that. There's also space to ask questions, right? So we teach, um, we teach brain, which is an acronym. So essentially anytime you're faced with like an option or a choice or an intervention or a procedure, right? We're going to walk through brain. So B is going to be the benefits. What are the benefits of this Mm -hmm. uh, procedure are going to be the risks. What are the risks if I do it? What are the risks if I don't? Um, A is alternatives. So what are my alternatives? Um, And then I is intuition. So what is my intuition telling me? Uh, And then N is for nothing. So what if I do nothing? Um, and how long mm-hmm. can I do nothing, right? What happens mm-hmm. in that case, right? So using that as a tool to like, I find it often starts those conversations with our providers where sometimes it would just be like, um, okay, I guess, 
yes, right? Like mm-hmm. rather than doing that, which is totally fine if that's what you want to do. I never want to tell someone like you have to ask for more information. If you're comfortable not asking, you're, if you're comfortable not getting more information, that's fine. Uh, but uh, that information is going to be your power, right? That's you taking yeah. that power back to make sure you're making an informed decision, you know? Yeah. And it is yeah. also powerful to make an informed decision to not get more information, right? Like that's fine yeah. too. Um, but making sure that that's not the default. Cause I think that's ultimately what happens mm-hmm. most of the time is people say, okay, right. You're the doctor. Right. Um, yeah. And there's so much more, there's so many more choices that you can make so much more information that you can ask for. Right. So kind mm-hmm. of using those tools can really help. Um, mm-hmm. And then again, a uh, therapist, <laughs> please go see a therapist, <laughs> right? Um, you can see somebody anytime, of course, but you can see them prenatally, you can establish care, mm-hmm. you can see them postpartum, yeah. so you can get care then as well, right? So just mm-hmm. knowing that there's resources and there's support out there for you, and it doesn't have to be mm-hmm. like a, you're just suffering by yourself kind of thing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I really like that um, that acronym does two things. It slows down the process like you were talking about in the beginning, that that's kind of like your role in it. Um, and it also asks the person to tap into their intuition um, yeah. because I, I can be a very um, cognitive person sometimes. Like I have to actively like sink into my heart and like my, my soul and check like, Oh, okay. Like, what is this part of me saying? Mm-hmm. Um, so I really love that that's included of, you know, not just like the thinking part, but what is, what is the other parts of me saying, um, you yeah. know, and, and figuring it out from there and, and from that perspective and that, yeah, you don't have to, you don't have to be in any of this alone that um, yeah. there are resources. There are people out there that, that want to be a part of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think this is a good place to pause for a quick break, uh, and then we will be back with the uh, last couple bits of our show. Yay! I wanted to take a quick pause to share with you a few resources. So if you are looking for ways to find more grounding and more mindfulness in your daily life and with real actionable steps, I've developed a workbook that will walk you through developing this skill. It comes from a trauma-informed lens. So if you've tried mindfulness before and you felt like it was more triggering than useful, you could have been actively dealing with a trauma response. So this workbook is designed for trauma survivors. And more than that, it gives you actionable steps and it's packed with information. So whether your schedule looks like a stay-at-home caregiver, whether you're someone who works a nine-to-five or something else entirely, there's something in this workbook for you. So you can head over to soulmission-emgrtherapy.com slash podcast. You can subscribe for our newsletter where you'll get reminders once a month about new content and an email with that free workbook. Again, that link is soulmission-emgrtherapy.com slash podcast, and you can find that link in the show notes. If you are enjoying this episode, and I truly hope that you are, if you think that it might be useful for someone else, please consider leaving us a review on your favorite podcast platform or on podchaser.com because that is the best way to get the word out about this podcast. 
And lastly, if you'd like to work with me and you live in either Arizona or Florida, I now have openings for EMDR intensive sessions. These are sessions that are longer than your standard 50-minute therapy session and can really help you reach a place of grounding and healing from past trauma quicker than the standard talk therapy session once per week. So if you'd like to find out more about this, I invite you to set up a free 15-minute consultation where we can chat about if this type of work is right for you. Uh, it is also a great accompaniment for if you are already working with a therapist and you're having a hard time breaking through some kind of block or trauma response or trauma trigger. You can go to soulmission-emdrtherapy.com slash contact, which will be in the show notes. All right, let's get back to today's episode. All right, so we are back here with Alex Barr, and for this next part of the show, we are talking about how providers are not robots, and so um, this section of the show is kind of inspired by, uh, so often I find like when people come to first see me, um, they kind of, they're only seeing me in this one one small window, this one little bit, and um, kind of comes from like this thought of like an Insta bubble, right? Like people are living only in this one small snapshot that we see them in. And so I wanted to kind of just expose, um, you know, a little bit more like to our humanness and who we are as people, uh, as people are looking for, you know, birth doulas and therapists and all the different types of providers that are out there that help with this healing work. So um, do you have an example of when you um, have just experienced your own humanness and, and, that you are not a robot. <laughs> um, I experience it often and I'm actually someone who really tries to like break down the barriers a little bit of like mm-hmm. professionalism, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I try to share a lot of who I am as a person and kind of lead with that. Um, so in my, so my business, social media and how I present myself, I'm very much just like, Hey, this is me. And if you like me, then you can hire me. And if you don't, Mm -hmm. that's okay. (laughs) Um, so I'm like, not afraid to like share my life or what I've been going through. Right. Or my experiences. Cause I think that they really, Mm -hmm. that perspective is really important. And I tried to like, let people know what perspective I'm coming from, right? Like where I'm coming from and like what I'm sharing and what I'm doing. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, and I, I think at least what I found in the therapy world is that sometimes, um, like with the, the ethics and stuff, like it can be sticky for me to both yes, be human and like show you who I am, but also like, you know, in this therapist role. So I think it's, it's interesting to watch that unfold and how things are changing in the therapy world for that. Um, but I really like how you shared like, Hey, this is me. Like, if you like me, we can work together. And if you don't, that's okay too. Um, and I think that really honors like, you know, autonomy and choice and like, um, but being able to pick your provider and pick who you're working with, like you don't have to, just go with like, you know, the person that you were referred to by your doctor or the person that, you know, you were told to go see, like you can do your homework and find someone that you click with and it doesn't have to be like, um, I don't know, like a weird dance. 
And that's one of the things that I like about being a doula is right. I, yeah. I work for myself. I like, yeah. and I, it really does have to be this like connection of like, you are going to, you're going to have to want like me and want me in your space, right. To invite yeah. me into such an intimate, like part of your life. Yeah. Um, where, you know, I definitely see a lot of other practitioners who aren't able to be as opening themselves. And I totally understand that. Um, but as far as me, it's like, I'm going to see you give birth. I could be with you for like a couple days, like, you know, or if I'm teaching people, I'm seeing them for like four, once a week for four weeks. Like you're going to have to like me a little bit. <laughs> so being yeah. able to kind of lead with that and just show that I am a person, right. You know, yes. show little snapshots of my day and that kind of stuff. I really try to, I use social media as a way to do that. And it yeah. works in twofold of like, it brings the people that like me to me. It also kind of weeds out the people that weren't going to like me <laughs> mm -hmm. or maybe like who weren't going to align with what, what, um, yeah. you know, who I am and I'm okay with that. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. There is for every person, there is a provider out there that will click with you. you just got to find the right one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so on to the trauma tip of our show. Um, so if you had one tip, um, to give to a trauma survivor, um, that, or just a tip that you would like everyone on, on earth again, to just be aware of and to know, uh, what would, what would you share here about this, this world? Um, let me think. Because I think I shared the one I was going to share earlier when I was talking about okay. autonomy. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I, I feel like we can tie it all back together and talk about yeah. community and talk about like find the people who will love and support you and lift you up and like be there for you. And it's okay if some of that help is like people you have to pay, right? Mm. It's okay if you need to hire a birth doula or a postpartum doula or a therapist or, you know, people who can kind of fill in those gaps as you build your community. Like that's totally okay. That's what we're here for, you know? Um, and just like, that's going to be so important to like everything, right? It's like building mm. that support system in that community. We aren't going to survive without it you know? Yeah. We weren't mean to operate alone. Nope. Yeah. Um, okay. So on to the final fast, sometimes funny questions, um, just again, to hone in on our humanness and just a fun way to wrap up the show. So if you could visit any place on earth, where would you go? Um, I've always wanted to go to, uh, to like Japan that's on my bucket list yeah yeah oh that would be so cool yeah I've always wanted to go to Thailand yeah <sighs> um, and I I've always wanted to go back I was in Germany as a child I've always wanted to go back to Germany and kind of like see if I could remember anything right <laughs> like yeah. go experience it as an adult yeah. Yeah. It's always different going back to a place as an adult versus a kid. So that would be, that would be interesting. Very cool. Uh, should pineapple be on pizza? 
Uh, I mean, if you want it to be. <laughs> <laughs> I like that way of answering that question. Some people get very, very heated. <laughs> Sorry, I had low battery pop up. Um, some people get very heated about the pineapple question. Yeah. And I say live your I, life. If live that's your life. pineapple on pizza, go Yolo. for it. <laughs> you like pineapple on your pizza? No. <laughs> no. Okay. Fair enough. Never. That is Okay. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, it's so funny that it's one or the other. It's, it's typically <laughs> I've only met one person that has said either or. Like they could do mm -hmm. either, and I found that interesting. So it's just an interesting one. Uh, what makes you feel inspired or motivated to do this work that you love? Um, definitely just the families that I get to work with. Yeah, it yeah. just makes me excited to do it and excited to be there and excited to be a part of it. And then my own kid, right? Like, I want him to have mm -hmm. a better world. <laughs> like, I want him to have a better future, you know. Yes. Um, there's so much that needs to be done. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do my little part and hope that it helps yeah. in some way. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Uh, what is one thing people are generally surprised to find out about you? Um, oh, that's a good one. I don't know. I feel like I always surprise people. Like they meet me and they're like, oh, I thought you were going to be really mean. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, okay. I, I have a lot of uh, uh, RBF resting bitch face. Oh. Um, I'm okay with it. I've leaned into it. It keeps strangers from talking to me, but. Uh, That's great. <laughs> but so I find a lot of people are like, oh, I thought you were going to be mean. And I'm like, mm. no. No. <laughs> No. Well, and hey, who in in the world can be smiling every moment of the day? Like, I can't even imagine how your face muscles would feel at the end of that day. Like, no thanks. And that's where it's like, I don't know if it's a smile, it, like a smile would help it or if it's just like my general, like normal face. If they, <laughs> But it's like, people are always like, oh, I thought you were going to be so mean. <laughs> oh, and you are not. No. What does a simple moment of pure joy look like for you? Um, driving, you know, windows down, music at full blast, you know, screaming at the top of your lungs, mm -hmm. singing at the top of your lungs kind of thing. Yes. I love it. Mm. What's the weather like in that scenario? Uh, like fall. Yeah. Mm. Fall. Yeah. Yes. I want to have a jacket it. on, but I don't want to be hot, you know? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Not not the temperature outside right now, at least no. not in Arizona. <laughs> no, I'm so good on that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you, Alex, so much for being on today's show. Uh, I'm so happy that you could come on and just share your wisdom and your experience with us and just help us get a little bit more closer to, to healing. Thank you for having me. I loved it. <laughs> Yay, you're welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today on Moving Out of Trauma. If you'd like today's episode and you think it might be useful for someone else, please consider leaving us a review on your favorite podcast platform or on podchaser.com. And if you have any questions at all, I would absolutely love to hear from you. You can find me over on Instagram at soulmission underscore EMDR therapy or on Facebook at Soul Mission EMDR Therapy. 
If you'd like, please stay tuned for the visualization exercises coming up next to transition to the next part of your day. And remember, you did not choose trauma and you can choose your path towards healing. This is moving out of trauma. So I just want to invite you to find a comfortable position and to make sure that you're doing this exercise somewhere uh, safe, somewhere where you feel um, that you can take a few moments for yourself um, and definitely not while you're driving. So we're going to start with the container activity and then move into the calm seat place. So it's good to have a secure place where you can store memories and issues and, and things that may need still some work. Um, but also maybe you don't need to focus on them right at this point. So if you think about it, almost like cleaning up the files on your desktop computer. So you can just feel a little bit less overwhelmed and focus a little bit more efficiently. The files are in a safe place and you can access them the next time that you need to. So to start creating this container, I'd like you to imagine some kind of container or storage system that can securely hold as much as you need it to for as long as you need it to until you're ready to work on it again. So this container can be something you imagine. It could be something that's real. We just wanna make sure that this container has a lid or some type of secure closure. So that way there's a way to take things out only when you want to. Now it's important to note, we don't wanna put people in containers, but we can put memories and feelings and any kind of situations. So take a moment and really think about what that container might look like. Notice how the container feels. Notice how it feels that it's there for you. Should you choose to use it or when you choose to use it. And now if you need to use that container, I want you to picture allowing whatever needs to go in there to take its place in there. This can happen slowly. This can happen quickly. However it needs to happen, it's okay. Just allow the pieces, the memories, the thoughts, the feelings, the situation, whatever it is, to just slowly take its place into that container. Now, once you feel like the things that need to be in the container are in there, I want you to close that container. Some people like to imagine that there's a lock there or some kind of secured closure beyond just a, a lid. So if you like, you can go ahead and lock that. And then just imagine it kind of taking its place back into wherever it needs to be. So this could be a place that you think of in your home. This could be an imaginary place, wherever it is. Just some place that we know that it's there when we need it. And now we're gonna transition to that calm state change place. So this is a really good activity to develop 
a couple of ways to feel more calm and secure without really needing to rely on something or someone external than us. So one way we can do this to create this type of place that you can visit internally whenever you want, kind of like having an instant mini vacation on demand. So see if you can think of a place where you might feel a sense of calm or a sense of well-being. You can imagine a place that's similar to one that you've experienced or heard about or read about. It's best not to use a specific memory with people, though, from your own history. So some people like to think of the beach or the woods, mountains, maybe someplace they feel cozy. So just notice this place. Notice what you hear. Notice what you smell. Look around, what do you see? What do you feel? Maybe either the temperature, the time of day, even down to how you feel in your body as you imagine yourself in this place. Really just allowing yourself to soak up every single positive part of this place. The way it looks, the things that you hear, the things that you smell, the things that you might be able to touch, any textures or temperatures, and really encapsulating what you feel in your body as you're in this place, as long as it feels good and calm and a place of centeredness. Now, knowing that this place is always available to you because it is within you, it's a place of your very own making, a place that you can return anytime you need whether it's for the quick deep breaths, returning to center, or maybe even winding down for the evening. This place is always here for you. So this recording is going to finish, but if you'd like to stay in this place a while longer, you're certainly more than welcome to do so. And I hope that you'll join me next time on Moving Out of Trauma.